Welcome to the BC Podcast, featuring a weekly message from Believer's Church in Warren, Ohio. For more information, visit www.believers.cc. Great to see you here in this beautiful July morning. And uh, my name is Joe. If you're new here, I get to serve on our lead team. And today we're going to continue in this awesome series called Don't Feed the Wildlife. And for those of you who were here last week and you got to hear Pastor Graham's message, Don't Feed the Bitterness, can we give it up for him, man? That was like seriously on point. I've heard more people in the last week say that message changed my life, that message rocked my world than uh, any message I can remember in recent history. So if you missed it, I just want to invite you to do something. Go to believers.cc and you can listen to it and watch it as many times as you want. And if you're, if you're new here, we actually have an app on just about any platform uh, for your smart device. So you can actually just search Believers Church in the App Store and uh, you can listen to the messages and you can actually pull up the notes for today's message and follow along. So something that you uh, might want to take advantage of. And I got to be honest with you, I kind of feel like I'm living this series out like every day of my life. Now, let me explain to you what I mean. I grew up in Howland, so not necessarily known for wilderness material, right? But, but every now and then, no matter how hard I try not to cross, cross paths with the wildlife around me, it happens. So kind of growing up in, in our backyard, we would have these wild turkey and these deer that would come through our yard. And I have like this ongoing feud with the neighborhood raccoons. Like they tip over my garbage can. Every Wednesday morning, I go out there with my fingers crossed and I'm like ready to, to throw up my dukes with these raccoons. They're just making my life miserable. I mean, wildlife will find us. And actually just a couple weeks ago, the wildlife, it, it got up close and personal at our house, at the Caminetti household, because we were outside playing, and all of a sudden I see this animal dart across the yard, and I hear my wife let out this shrill scream of excitement, and, and all of a sudden we see this wildlife, and it wasn't any wildlife, it was a bunny. Now it wasn't just any bunny, it was a baby bunny. Everybody say, aww. And so this is all that it took for my, my two kids, my niece and my wife to freak out. And so they caught him in like 10 seconds. They're holding this little baby bunny. And my wife, she's an amazing wife. She's here in the front row. Beautiful, great. I love her. But she made, she made a, a fatal mistake in that moment as a parent. I, I dare call it a parenting fail because I saw it in slow motion. Here's what she said. She said, maybe we can keep it. And I was like, no. No. Like, as soon as I heard her with those, those words come out of her mouth, I was like, here's what my daughter Riley heard, who is four years old. We will keep it. It'll stay in my room. We'll give it other baby bunnies. They'll make baby bunnies, and we'll start a bunny farm. That's what my daughter heard. And so, so I had to call, like, a parenting powwow inside, and, and my kids are out there, and they've built a habitat for it, and they're feeding it, and it's in this shoebox. I'm not lying here. And, and, and so my wife is like, hey, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. I was like, you're right, you shouldn't have said that. Go undo the damage, go unscramble the eggs, whatever you want to call it, but make it stop. And so she goes back out there with this impossible task, which is to tell my daughter it's not going to happen. And, and instead of telling you about it, I thought maybe we could just show you. My wife actually has the Snapchat story from that day. Why don't we take a look? We just captured a little baby bunny. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Tell me what you, you're doing, Joey. I'm making him a home. Yeah, you don't think we need to release him? No, we don't. Baby, is that good? You love him. <gasps> I love him. Let's let him go. 
Let him go. It's okay. Let's let Riley do it, sweetheart. Go ahead. Go ahead. Put him down. Put him down. Okay. Say bye. Put the bunny back down. Riley, put you the bunny what? down. Put the bunny down. That's awful. She's going to hate me for that someday. But I'm just, I'm paying her back for everything my dad did to me throughout the years. You know? No, but I, I actually, I wanted to share that with you in this series called Don't Feed the Wildlife. Because, man, I thought this is a perfect picture of what can happen in our lives. Here, here's what Riley didn't realize. Like, as cute as this baby bunny was, as much as we felt it could bring joy and excitement to us in the short term, can I just tell you something? The Cam fam, that's not how we roll. Uh, we don't take wildlife into our house, and we're certainly not pet people, and I'm not starting with a wild rabbit. I, I think that's the equivalent of a rat. That's just my opinion. So anyways, here's what she doesn't know, that even though it starts out really cute, the more that you feed this baby bunny, it's going to turn into a big bunny, and there's going to be big bunny poo-poos all over our house. And then we go on vacation. we got to get a bunny sitter. I just don't, I don't have it in me. And so, and so we said no. And, and listen, I don't know if you're aware of this, but if you're kind of new to God and your relationship with him, here's what the Bible says. It actually tells us that there is wildlife inside of all of us. And the Bible actually calls it our flesh. And here's what the flesh is. The flesh is the old us. It's the old nature. It's the part of us that is resistant to God. It doesn't want to obey him. It doesn't want to do what he says. It's, it's resisting him in every way. And our flesh feeds off of our feelings and our emotions. And here's the thing. The more that we feed our flesh, the bigger it gets and the more it begins to dominate our lives. So actually, the title of my message today is Don't Feed the Flesh. And Galatians 5 actually has a lot to say about this. This is kind of like a rundown of what our flesh can look like in all sorts of different ways. And I want to just tell you before we read this list, if you're new to God or if this is something you've never done before is come to a church, this is kind of what you'd expect me to do out of the gate is like read a list of do's and don'ts. And I want you to know that's not why I'm reading it. If you struggle with anything on this list, it doesn't mean you're a bad person. It just means you're a person. Welcome to the club. You're a human being. All of us struggle with these things, but I think it's helpful to read how we struggle with them so we can fix it. Galatians 5.19, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery. One, one uh, version actually calls it wild living. It's the wildlife in all of us. Verse 20, idolatry and witchcraft and hatred and discord and jealousy and fits of rage and selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. And I like that it says the like because here's what it's telling us. It's not a comprehensive list. And I don't know if you're anything like me, but I kind of invent new ways to sin all the time in my human nature. And so what they're trying to say is, hey, it takes all different shapes and forms, but this is feeding the flesh. And, and here's the result. This is kind of a scary place to be. It says, I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, I could spend a whole message on this, and this is widely debated theologically, but can we all agree that whatever it means, it ain't good. Like, we want to inherit the kingdom of God and everything that God has for us. We want God's kingdom to come and his will to be done in our life. And when we feed our flesh, it's not possible for those two things to coexist. Now, this is interesting, and this will really help you. These are, in my opinion, a list of haywire desires, 
Like they're actually appetites that God gives all of us that inherently are not bad. But it's when we use them in the wrong way that they can lead to destruction in our life. Because listen, whenever we live by the desires of our flesh, it always leads to a dead end. Desire always leads to a dead end. And these are appetites. So I'll give you one example. I'll use the example of a fire in a fireplace. You know, a fire inside of a fireplace is a beautiful thing. Like it actually warms our house and it lights it up. But a fire outside of a fireplace can burn our house to the ground. Are you with me? Now, uh, let's talk about sex for just a second here because this is one of the major themes in Galatians 5. Sex, God actually talks about it a lot in the Bible. And he tells us to have sex inside of the circle. Now, what's the circle? Well, sex inside of the circle is a man and a wife for an entire life. It's marriage. And sex was not just made for procreation. Sex was actually made as a gift to man and wife for recreation. Like it's actually something God gave us to enjoy each other and it brings us closer together. But just like fire outside of a fireplace, if you take sex outside of the circle of marriage, it can destroy your life. It can bring destruction. And, and so we want to make sure that we understand, hey, like it's not bad inherently to have desires or appetites. It's not wrong to like food. It's, it's when food dominates your life and you overeat, it can actually destroy your body. Are you with me? And so we want to make sure that we don't do this because here's the reality. Our flesh is never full forever. Like, it doesn't matter how good the Big Mac tastes. It doesn't matter how the relationship makes us feel. It doesn't matter how much we drink and how great it feels in the moment. Our flesh is never full forever. And there's this magic word that our flesh loves, and it's more, right? Like, if I like it, I want more. And here's the scary part. If I get more, then I actually need more the next time to satisfy my flesh again. And so we want to make sure that we understand that our flesh and our feelings, man, they're never full forever. And if we live by our flesh and we feed it, it's going to grow bigger and it's going to dominate our lives in ways we never thought possible. And so again, I want you to understand this. Today is not a message to just make everybody feel horrible. Today is a message to actually equip you to do what God has called you to do. And I think it's helpful to go back to the very first people that struggled with feeding their flesh. And anytime I preach a message, it's funny, I always go back to Adam and Eve. It's like something about them, because they were like the progenerators of all of our problems. Like, original sin, it's original for a reason, right? Like, it started in the garden. And think about this, Adam and Eve, they have this perfect paradise, and they're allowed to eat anything they want. Appetites, God gave them to them for a reason. But he said, just don't eat this one tree. And he said, if you eat this, it's going to lead to trouble. And there's actually three things that happen when we feed our flesh. Maybe you can relate to these. If you're taking notes, man, this is a great thing to write down. Here's the first thing. Feeding our flesh leads to, number one, shame. And this is straight out of Genesis, chapter 3, verse 7. And this is right after they ate the fruit. It says, at that moment, their eyes were opened and they subtly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. And here's the thing, shame always leads to secrecy. You know what breaks my heart is that people that love God and have known God for a really long time, so many of them are not living in the fullness of his freedom because there is a shame from a sin that they're hiding. And here's what God knows, if you can bring that sin into the light, then God can work with it. But the enemy knows if he can keep it in darkness, then it's impossible for God to work with it. And so Adam and Eve did this with fig leaves, and we can do this with all kinds of different ways. But we tend to cover up our shame, and we hide it. And here's the second thing. Feeding our flesh leads to distance. 
I would argue that not only does it distance us from others, but of course it distances us from God. And if you continue in this story, Genesis 3-9, the Lord God called to man and he said, where are you? Now, if you kind of have a warped view of God and you just kind of view him as this, this person that doesn't really like you and he's ready to zap you at a moment's notice and he's upset with you for what you did wrong, then you kind of hear it like, where are you? And it's kind of like that harsh, angry dad that's always upset with you and always points out your flaws. But I know enough about God's grace and enough about God's goodness to hear it a little bit differently. And I submit to you that the tone that he was using was probably a little bit more like the dad that's at the grocery store and he lost his son or he lost his daughter. And it doesn't matter what they did to get lost. It doesn't matter how many times they didn't listen to him. He's saying, where are you? I'm looking for you. I want to be with you. And some of us just need to hear that this morning, that God, even though you're hiding, even though you feel ashamed, God is still searching for you desperately because he wants to be with his creation. He actually made you to connect with you, and it breaks his heart when you hide from him. That's the second thing. It leads to distance, and Adam answers by saying this, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And just remember this, God wants to find us even when we're hiding. Here's the third one leads to blame. Feeding our flesh leads to blame. I, I don't know about you, but this is, this is my tendency. Like when I mess up or I feed my flesh and I get caught I, from the youngest of ages, it's human nature, I kind of just find someone else to blame. Adam and Eve weren't any different. Here's what they said in Genesis 3.12. Uh, the man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. So not only is Adam blaming Eve, he's blaming God, right? He's like, hey, hey God, it's the woman you gave me. Not my fault, not my problem. I probably wouldn't have eaten the fruit, but you made this woman, and she's pretty convincing. She looks pretty. I didn't know what to say. I didn't know how to say no. I ended up eating the fruit. And Eve wasn't much better off, because here's what she says in verse 13. The Lord God said to the woman, what is it that you've done? And the woman said, <laughs> this is kind of funny. She said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate it. So in other words, the devil made me do it, right? Like the oldest excuse in the book. How many times do we go to God and we're like, ah, God, the devil made me do it. I didn't really want to do it, but he was really convincing, and he stuck his little forked tongue out at me, and I didn't know what to say, and the devil made me do it. Now listen, here's what the enemy was offering to Adam and Eve in this moment. He was saying, hey, I want you to make a trade. I want you to trade in the immediate for the eternal. In other words, I want you to trade in your convictions for your cravings. I want you to trade in what feels good in the moment for something that is way more satisfying eternally, but you're not going to realize that because it feels so much more real right here and now. Trade in the immediate for the eternal. Can we all agree? It's not a fair trade. Worst trade ever probably, right? There, there's been a lot of unfair trades uh, in history. I'll just list a couple because I think you'll appreciate this. Like, like here's a pretty good one. Um, anybody familiar with Kobe Bryant? Kobe Bean Bryant, probably one of the greatest uh, basketball players to ever grace this green earth. I grew up as a Lakers fan, believe it or not, and yeah, that coexisted with my passion for the Cavaliers somehow. And uh, so, so he comes into the league, and he's actually drafted by, anybody know? The Charlotte Hornets, right? Most people aren't aware of this, and so he's drafted by them. He's 17 years old, and nobody knows how good he is. And so there's this guy that the Lakers have named Vladi Divac. Now, Vladi's pretty good. He's like a professional basketball player, and he's a consummate pro, but he is not Kobe Bryant. They don't know that, so they swap. They trade Kobe for Vlade. Worst trade ever, right? Because like five championships later, 
several MVPs later, and Kobe Bryant is one of the greatest of all time, and Vladi Divac is Vladi Divac, right? Not a fair trade. How about this one? It's a good trade if you're a Lakers fan like Pastor Graham. He's the only one in here excited about that. But listen, how about this one? You ever heard of the Louisiana Purchase? This is funny, like 530 million acres, all right? And the French actually own this territory, this property. And so America propositions them, and they're like, hey, you, you know the 13 states worth of land? We'd like to buy that from you. And the French are like, all right, how much? And they're like, all right, we, we want to pay 42 cents an acre. And so this amounts to like $15 million. And I don't know about you, but I feel like that's not a fair trade. And so they're like, all right, we'll take it. And America's like, hold on, no, throw in French fries, and you got a deal. And we did it, and there you have it. That's history according to Joe. Louisiana Purchase. Now, how about this one, last one? Babe Ruth, anybody ever heard of this guy? Not just a candy bar, was once a, a baseball player. And uh, he started his career out with the Boston Red Sox. Amazing talent, and the Yankees wanted him bad. So in, in, in those days, here's what the going rate was for Babe Ruth. They traded him for $100,000 and a $300,000 loan to a play called No, No, Nanette. Can you believe that? Can you say, no, no, Red Sox, bad trade, like worst trade ever, don't do it. Not a fair trade. And there's this guy, a few chapters later, as a matter of fact, in Genesis, and his cravings lead him to make some decisions and a trade that he's probably going to go down for as the worst trade ever in all of history. His name is Esau. Now, Esau is a twin to Jacob. And Esau is a lot different than his brother. This is interesting. Like Esau, the Bible actually, th this is one of the things people speculate about. His, his name leads us to believe that he came out fully formed. Like in other words, that he, they said he had hair from head to toe. I can relate to that as an Italian man. But then he was, he was red in complexion. And the Bible actually says it leads you to believe he might have had his molars and his adult teeth fully formed. They even think he might have had a beard. Like crazy, right? He was just a man's man from the first day. And so naturally, he's a, he, he's a guy that hangs out in the wilderness a lot, and he hunts, and his brother is the exact opposite. Jacob is kind of a mama's boy and likes to hold his no-whip frappuccino soy, you know, and, and he's hanging out in the tent. He's just having fun, and he's just doing his thing, cooking, and I kind of relate more to Jacob, if I'm being honest, and, and, and so one day, one day, Esau comes back from this long trip in the wilderness where he's been hunting, and he's starving. And this is where we pick up Genesis 25, 29. One day, when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau arrived home from the wilderness exhausted and hungry. Like, like you ever been so hungry that you weren't just hungry, you were like hangry? You know what I'm saying? Like, like you know how the Snickers commercial says, like, you're not you when you're hungry. Like, this is Esau in that moment. And here's what I noticed. I think it's strategic that they say he was exhausted and hungry. Because I don't know about you. But the moments in my life where I've messed up the most, the moments in my life where I've been involved in some unfair trades are the moments when I'm tired and I'm exhausted and I'm hungry. And the enemy knows this and he waits for those moments when we're empty because he knows he can tempt us to crave counterfeits. And that's exactly what happens with Jacob and Esau. And I'll just submit this to you as somebody that sees a lot of people that love Jesus and they really do care about him. I think most of us walk through life so starved for the right things that we fill up on anything. It's just a temptation to just eat anything that comes our way because we're so starved of what God intended for us to eat in the first place. And it's a temptation that leads to feeding our flesh. I'll give you a great example. I think a lot of Christians 
have about one spiritual meal a week, and it's at church. And I don't know if you're aware of this, but church was never intended to be the main meal in your spiritual journey. It was actually intended to supplement what you had every day in your relationship with Jesus. And so it's not supposed to be that we kind of like gorge on, on God like once a week or kind of go to the believer's buffet and just binge, right? Those are good things. Binge all you want here. Get as much as you can, but it's not going to last you through the rest of the week. And some of us, we walk through life and we are so starved spiritually that we are unable to sustain what God is asking us to do because we don't have what God's word says we need and we're not filling up on it. If this is the only moment every week where you're worshiping God, it's not enough. Worship is a weapon. You need it. You got to have moments every day on your car ride to work and, and in private where you're just worshiping God because worship actually builds us up and strengthens us. And can I tell you something? If you're walking through a discouraging situation right now, there's nothing that will bring hope into your life like putting on some worship music. I can't encourage you enough to shift your playlist to some songs that we sing here on the weekend. And if you need help, just ask some of the people from the band and they would be glad to recommend some. But listen, we've got to make sure that we are filled up on the right things so we don't settle for the wrong ones. Now, continuing in the story, verse 30, he said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. Now, I don't know if you're aware of this, but I told you Esau came out red. Like, that's actually a nickname that he had. He was called Edom. And so Esau was called red his whole life, and I don't think it's a coincidence that this moment there is red stew. And you could take this first one of two ways. You could either say that, hey, Jacob saw an opportunity and he seized it, or you could see it a little bit differently. I tend to believe that Jacob is kind of like our enemy, and he knows what we like. And in the moments when we're empty, and the moments when we're exhausted, he presents that meal that he knows is going to make our taste buds go crazy. And he says, here, trade in the immediate for the eternal. And that's exactly what happens in this moment. So reading along, verse 31, Jacob replied, First, sell me your birthright. Now, if you're new to this whole term, a birthright was pretty significant in that day and age. Remember, Esau's the firstborn. Even if it's by a couple seconds, he's the firstborn. So the birthright belonged to him. And not only did he stand to inherit two-thirds of his father's wealth, Jacob was going to get one-third. Here's the coolest part about this in that day's culture. His name was actually going to carry on the lineage of the family. So I don't know if you're aware of this, but this is crazy. You know how we say Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? It's never supposed to be that. It was supposed to be Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. And Jacob knows this, and Jacob has him right where he wants him. And this is what happens as we keep reading. Verse 32, Esau says, look, I'm about to die. And just time out. Really? Really, Esau? You're about to die? Unless we judge him, though, can we just be honest? Like, have we not said something similar to this in maybe the last week? Like, if I don't get that new iPhone 17, I'm going to die. Like, I cannot live without this person. I cannot live without this drink. I cannot live without this pill. I cannot live without this food. I need it or I'm going to die. And this is the lie that you can't live without it. And God's trying to communicate something here. Your birthright is better. Don't settle for the bowl of lentil porridge. Do you know what lentils are? They're beans. So here's what he's saying. Hey, trade me your birthright for a bowl of beans. And I don't know about you, I've had some good lentils in my day, but none of them were worth my birthright. Anybody with me on that? Does anybody love lentils so much that you can kind of see where he's coming from? I just, okay, all right. 
You're weird. Okay, no, I'm just kidding. So, Genesis 25, 34. Oh, excuse me, let's back up. Esau said, what good is the birthright to me? And then he goes on to say, Jacob gave Esau some bread, some lentil stew. He ate and drank and then got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. And I think sometimes in our life, even though it's so clear to see in this case, man, we can despise our birthright. We can kind of miss out on this miracle that God has given us something. Yeah, I don't know if you're aware of this, but when we are born into God's family, we're actually born into his kingdom with an inheritance. I'll prove it to you. There, this is one of many scriptures, Ephesians 1.18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. And just real quick, can I tell you something? This is our prayer for you every week here at Believer's Church. We pray that you would get a vision for your life that's so clear that it's impossible to miss. That God would just open up your eyes to the fullness of what he has for you. Let's read on. In order that, this is so that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious, there's that word again, inheritance in his holy people. Now, the question becomes, man, how do we make sure we don't trade in our birthright for a bowl of beans? How do we make sure our convictions aren't speaking less than our cravings? And, and here's what I think was happening in Esau's life. I think it can happen in ours. I think Esau was on this ride, and we'll call it the Esau seesaw. Here's what I mean by that. You'll never forget this. A seesaw is interesting because it literally tells you what it's doing in the name, right? Like when you're up, you see it. And when you're down, you saw it. And then you see it, and then you saw it. And you see it, and you saw it. I'm doing this intentionally because I never want you to forget this. Listen, remember, we're supposed to see and have a vision and let the eyes of our heart be open to the glorious inheritance that we have in Christ Jesus. And if we let our emotions and our feelings dictate whether or not we see the vision God has for our life, we're going to miss out every time. We're going to be in this place where we trade in our birthright for a bowl of beans, and we won't even want to, but it'll happen anyways. And I think what God is trying to say is, hey, see the vision that I have for your life, and don't let the lows of life, which, by the way, they're coming. The storms always come. Don't let those make you ride the Esau seesaw. Make sure that you keep that birthright right in front of you. And here's the question. This is what I want to spend the last few minutes talking about. What's your bowl of beans? Like, like what's the thing that is so appealing and, and so enticing that, like, it's a super huge temptation? Even though you know everything that the Bible says, like, the moment you walk out of here today— it's staring you right in the face. It smells good. It looks good. It, it, it looks good. It, it's something that is absolutely trying to derail your destiny at every turn. What is it? What's your bowl of beans? Because, like, I think the biggest deal we can face is, like, figuring out not just how to know what our cravings are, but, like, how do I control them? So I want to talk to you about how do we control our cravings. And actually, Galatians 5.17 has the answer for this. It actually tells us, for the flesh craves what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh they are opposed to one another so that you do not do what you want and if you feel like man i keep landing in this place i never thought i would i keep doing stuff that i didn't want to do like paul said why is it that i do the things i don't want to do and i don't do the things that i want to do it's because when we feed our flesh that's all that we can do and so what god is saying is hey you are what you eat right like, spiritually, you could never eat health food and expect to be an unhealthy person. 
And it works the other way around. You are what you eat. So here's the subsequent question. It's, hey, what's on the menu? What's on the menu? Like, if we're eating beans every day, there's no way the birthright is going to happen in our life. And I'll just give you a couple practical ways that you can find out. Like, here's a great one. Just check your social media feed. Just listen to your conversations. If you're struggling with anger and bitterness, and all you hear coming out of your mouth and out of your thumbs is anger and bitterness, you're feeding on beans. Like, just real quick after service today, I just invite you, grab your phone and just scroll through your feed if you just see beans, 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 birthright, beans. Then we got to change what's on the menu, right? We got to change what's on the menu. I'm just going to, uh, is it okay if I just encourage a few different people in here this morning? Is that all right at Believer's Church? I'm just, I'm thinking there might be a young lady here, and you know that this guy, we'll call him your bowl of beans, this bowl of beans isn't good for you. Like, it gives you gas. It's not, <laughs> I don't know how else to say it. He's just not the right person for you. He's not on the same trajectory. He's not following Jesus. Are you with me? And the next time that bowl of beans tries to whisper sweet nothings in your ear, you need to push that bowl of beans across the table and say, I don't like beans. They're off the menu. Get out of my life. I'm going to find a young man that loves Jesus. Are you with me? And maybe there's a young man or maybe it's just anyone and you struggle with looking at images that you're not proud of. And listen, can I, can I just reason with you? Like, I think we have to get to the point where we're almost, like, indignant about this. Like, I'm really, really good at telling you what the floor looks like all over this place. Like, I can tell you what the floor looks like at Walgreens. I can tell you what the floor looks like at the mall, what it looks like at the restaurant. And here's why. Because, like, I've gotten really good at doing this thing called bouncing my eyes. And if there's something that I know is going to lead me even just a little bit off of God's plan for my life to be pure, my eyes hit the ground. Because, listen, I'd rather see the ground and run into, <laughs> run into the cereal aisle th than I would to run into sin and to feed my flesh and end up in a place I don't want to be. And listen, pornography, come on, that's not even real beans. That's like jelly beans. Like, come on, that's just, we got to see sin for what it is. And we got to take sin off the menu. Some of us have beans for breakfast and brunch and lunch and dinner, and then we wonder why we're getting this outcome, and God's saying, no, start thinking about my birthright. Start thinking about what you've been born into in the kingdom of God, because the birthright is always better. Are you with me? So here's, here's two things that we're going to do. We want to just give you two ways that you can control your cravings. Are you with me? If you're going to write anything down, these are the ones. Cleanse your palate is number one. The first thing we got to do is cleanse our palate. Remember, this is a craving issue. This has to do with our taste and, and recalibrating our cravings. And so think about this. Like you, when you change your diet, if you eat a lot of junk food, you're, you're not going to stop liking Cheetos right out of the gate. Like broccoli's probably not going to do it for you if you lived on Big Macs. But, but eventually, I'm telling you, I promise the day comes when you forget what it tastes like. And here's the best way to do it. You've got to cleanse your palate. Like a foodie would tell you, if you want to fully enjoy the next meal you're having, you have to fully forget the last one. And so how do they do that? They use water. Like water is a great palate cleanser. And I love that Jesus says in Ephesians 5, he says, hey, wash your minds or cleanse your minds with the water of the word of God. In other words, the more that we get a hold of God's promises and what he says about our birthright in Jesus Christ, the less our cravings have any control over us. 
And Philippians talks about this, and you're probably familiar with this if you know God for a while, but if you're new to this, this is, this is something to arm you. This is Philippians 4.8. It says, think on these things, the things that are true and respected and pure and loved and well thought of. It's taking beans off of the menu and putting your birthright on it. Are you with me? We've got to cleanse our palate. Here's the second one. You ready? We've got to refine our palate. Refine your palate. So what do I mean by that? Well, a food connoisseur will tell you this. You will never fully appreciate filet mignon until you stop eating hot dogs. You're confusing your taste buds when you eat garbage food, and then you go and you eat a great meal. And it reminds me of this journey that the Bible talks about where it says, hey, you got to move from milk to meat, right? Like babies start with milk, but the more you grow in maturity, maturity equals meat. Because that's actually where the rubber meets the road, and that's where you start doing what God's asking you to do. That's where you start getting a hold of your birthright. We want to move from milk to meat. It's recalibrating our cravings, and it's changing our taste. And here's the best way to do it. Once you taste the real thing, it's hard to go back to the other, right? I love what Psalm 34, 8 says. It says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. God's just trying to say, hey, you got to acquire the right taste. And can I tell you something? The easiest way to beat an addiction, and I don't want to make it sound like it's easy, but the best way to do it is to taste and see that God's good. And whenever I try to help somebody that's walking through a behavior that's destructive, break free from an addiction, I just tell them what God helped me to do in my life. And when I saw behavior that I didn't like, I just got more and more excited about God's word. And the more that I heard about how much God loved me, and the more I experienced his presence, I replaced one addiction with a beautiful addiction. And then all of a sudden, I started to see my birthright for what it was. And I wasn't riding the Esau seesaw anymore. I was pushing those beans across the table and receiving my birthright. Are you with me? We got to taste and see that the Lord is good. Here's two more scriptures that I think will help you, and then we're going to call it a day. Romans 13, 14. Now, just so you know the context, verse 13 is saying what we've been saying all day. It's saying, don't feed your flesh. But then verse 14 says this, instead, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. And I love this part. Make no provision for the desires of the flesh. So here's a really important point. Don't miss this. We could love God with all of our heart. We could really care and really want to do the right things. But... If we make provision for our flesh, in other words, if we make it easy on ourselves to sin in a moment of weakness, we're going to fail every time. So let's, let's bring this down to real terms. If I'm trying not to overeat, then providing for my flesh is stocking my freezer with chubby hubby. Are you with me? It's making it difficult on myself when I know I'm going to be weak, and, and it's making a way for my flesh to sin and feeding myself. It, it's easier that way. But somebody that's serious about it is going to say, hey, I'm pulling all the stuff that's going to make me stumble out of the freezer. I'm not going to give myself anything in the pantry that might just make me want to exchange the immediate for the eternal, that might want to make me exchange my cravings for my convictions. It's doing that. Now, if you struggle with anger, here's, here's a great rule of thumb. You don't want to hang around angry people. If you're bitter, don't get around bitter people. Now, I'll, I'll call it this way. There's like weekday friends, and then there's Friday friends, Right? So like your weekday friends, those are the people that you're at work with or it might even be in your family and it's like, hey, you can be friendly with them, but you're not friends. Like the Bible says, don't be unequally connected with people that don't know me. You've got to surround yourself with people that are on the same journey in the same path. 
It's like if you're struggling with lust, then it means you have blocks on your phone. It means that you don't have a TV in your room with HBO and Skinamax and fill in the blank. Are you with me? It means don't provide a way out for your flesh to give in. Make sure that even in the moments when you're weak, that God can help you keep sight of your birthright. Are you with me? Here's where we're going to end. I love this scripture. Galatians 5.25 says this, Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh and its desires. And crucifixion, it's not pretty. It's painful. But I love that the Bible tells us we're dead to sin, we're alive to righteousness. I am crucified with Christ, but nevertheless, I live. And it's not I that lives, but it's he, Christ, who lives inside of me. In the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave his life for me. Are you with me? There's a moment where we just start to get a hold of our birthright, and it's like, hey, I'm not going to live by my flesh anymore because my flesh is never full forever. But when I get satisfied and I truly taste and see that the Lord is good, it fills me up to overflowing, and there's nothing in this world that can satisfy me like that. Are you with me? We're going to bow our heads and close our eyes. And i got to tell you, man, this is the most important moment of this weekend. I really believe this. Any person that I've talked to after this message, they're just telling me, hey man, God's like, did, did you and God talk before about, about like what I was doing? Because you were talking exactly about what I'm going through. This is what the Holy Spirit does, man. He knows where we are. He wants us to get where we're going. And the way he does it is by conviction through the Holy Spirit. And so this is just between you and God. No one else is looking around. You don't even have to say this loud enough for the person next to you to hear it, but I just want you to visualize what the bowl of beans is. What is it? And maybe even just visualize kind of pushing it across the table. Just maybe even say inside, say like, my birthright is better. I'm not going to live by my flesh. I'm going to live by the Spirit of God. Now let's just pray this. Repeat after me. Say, dear God, now I pray for strength to do the right thing even when I don't feel like it, even when it's hard, even when it hurts. Give me grace to do everything you've called me to do. Say this with me. This is a dangerous prayer. Say, I break the hold of my addictions, my bad way of thinking, anything that would stop me from taking hold of the birthright that belongs to me. In Jesus' name, amen. Now everyone's heads are still bowed, eyes are still closed. I want to extend one more invitation. If you're here this weekend and you're like, hey, this all sounds pretty good, but you know, I, I kind of maybe grew up in church, but I've never heard people talk about Jesus this way. Or maybe you've never been to church a day in your life, and you're like, I don't even know who this guy is, but I'm interested. Can I just tell you, this is what Jesus said about himself. In a world where people tell you there's all kinds of different ways to heaven, where they tell you that there's 50 different shades of gray, and there's all kinds of different truth, you just pick yours, don't judge. Here's what Jesus said. It was bold, and he said it about himself. He said, I am the way, and I am the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. So he makes it clear. It says in the Bible that today's your day of salvation because no one's guaranteed tomorrow. 
I never like to leave a service without giving you the opportunity to make the decision that hundreds of people in here have already made and give your life to Jesus. This is the moment when you make it real with him. You say, Jesus, take the wheel. I need your help. I'm not perfect. And we always tell people and we mean it. There's no perfect people allowed here. And God loves you right where you are, but he loves you way too much to let you stay there. And this is the moment where God wants to change everything. Does it mean your life is going to have no bumps, no storms, no way, but God promises to walk you through them. And so if that's you and you're like, I want to respond to that, there's something deep inside of me that says I need Jesus as my Savior, then everyone who's prayed that prayer before is going to help by just repeating this prayer. And if you mean it from the bottom of your heart, the Bible says a miracle takes place. You're on your way to heaven, and here's the coolest part. God wants to transform your life now and have a relationship with you the way he intended. With every head bowed, every eye closed, just repeat this after me. Say, dear God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he died for my sin, that he took it on himself. All of my shame, everything I've hidden, that he took it for me in the open because he loved me that much. And now I receive that free gift of salvation. Jesus, I call you Savior. I call you Lord. I give you my life. I won't be perfect, but every day I'm going to take a step closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the BC Podcast. Follow us at A City Connected on Twitter and Instagram to stay updated, inspired, and encouraged.